slightly irritated by it. So it means I can still charge it, but it has to be a wireless charger. Oh, that's obnoxious. So I'm looking at getting, there's a case, that's that one that Warren posted in the group. It's a case that you can get yeah. that's essentially a wireless charger as part of the case. So that's my current, it's an unnecessary expense, but... I have, I mean, I have a wireless charger at home, so it's all good for that. And I've got one in the car, etc. But it's just out and about. And yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Oh, yeah. Rome logistics. Um, how are we doing after what is, quite frankly, quite a shit week? Uh, I don't really uh, want to talk about either of the games. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure anyone does, but uh, we are. We're stupid enough to host a podcast a week. Gonna have, have to do it, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. Yesterday, I mean, that the like that starting eleven got the result it deserved, basically, or the result you'd predict, right? When you see that starting eleven, you go, "This is not going to score any goals, and we can't defend even with six defenders on the pitch." So it was only really going to be one way. It's a big gamble. But like, if you if we win two nil at Roma, if you know if you win two nil at Roma, it's all worthwhile, isn't it? So the proof's going to be in the pudding in four days' time. Yeah, Craig, how are you? How how was it watching it from across the pond for the last uh, games? Really, <laughs> it, yeah, either games just incredibly frustrating as, as along with everyone else. Um, but yeah, it's not been a not been a week to write home about, has it? So. Uh, just two two very i think same result but two obviously very different games i think <laughs> but we'll, we'll get into that a little bit yeah inevitably with with these two game weeks it's going to be a bit of a disorganized mess because we are going to bounce from game to game without any kind of organizational skills because uh, we just can't help ourselves um but let's let's at least try and pretend and start at wolves it's a long way for a lot of brighton fans to go uh, on a Wednesday night for an FA Cup fifth round game. Um, luckily for me, I'm like an hour and 20 minutes east of Birmingham, so it was a nice nice one for me. But my sister down in Brighton, taking almost like a four-hour drive up and to, to watch that is is never the most fun. Um, but honestly, like the lineup, barring, well, barring the fact that we had no striker <laughs> starting uh, and Pupion obviously in the lineup, it, it wasn't a terrible start in 11. Um, no. And Wolves went very strong, uh, pretty much their, their main Yeah, I think they just had what? Group. They had Neto, they had Neto and who else on the bench? Neto Serrano, wasn't it? Yeah. Semedo also has played a lot of games this season. So really but just a couple of rotational pretty moves. Much here and there. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Starting lineup wise, I mean, I'm done. I'm done talking about steel. I'm done talking about the goalkeeper situation. You know, we picked a goalkeeper. Um, but beyond that, you're right. Pepion was a bit of a surprise, given the fact he wasn't really one that got minutes. You know, when we were really struggling towards the back end of the calendar year. You know, it was Baker, Boati, and Duffus who were getting the minutes then. So it seems like Pepinho has kind of come out of nowhere. That was the only one that was a bit odd. I thought he might have started those other two who'd had minutes here and there. Um, I was, I think he was on loan at Cheltenham, wasn't he, earlier in the season, Pepinho? And he was he got sent back. He yeah, got he sent back. He wasn't good enough. Team. 
which is a slightly but he was, was but he was bizarre. getting he was getting subs and starts uh, i'm not sure if he got a start but he was definitely getting subbed on at the end of last season thinking yeah. about those games where we got battered by newcastle where we rotated really heavily yeah. and like he played a big like he played a lot of minutes in those last couple of games got sent off to Cheltenham, wasn't good enough came back and is basically straight in the starting lineup of an fa cup fifth round yeah like what like what is going on there, Craig? Like what what is deserving seeing here that Cheltenham's manager is not and and he didn't he didn't look bad honestly, other than no no being played yeah. wildly out of position. Yeah, I th- well that's the thing. I think you sort of when you can play in multiple positions even barely competently, um, I think that versatility is like gold dust to someone like Deserbi anyway. So um, maybe it's that you know maybe. I obviously playing hideously out of position, but as a right wing back or, or trying to do that and deputize there, it, he didn't do too badly. I, like you said, like I, I didn't think he did that bad at all. Um, just the, the, the nature of the way the game flowed, he was just dragged off at half time because we needed something else. Um, very strange. I think I, I could see a fires on the bench as well. I know he had sort of uh, a, a health scare, but again, just someone that went out on loan. It didn't necessarily work out for one reason or another. Um, and, and now they're back in, in amongst the first team. So, uh, yeah, there's obviously something that other people don't. And Cheltenham are bad, too. They're a bad, they're a bad mm. football team, so it's really strange. Were they the team uh, that hadn't... Didn't they, did they, they'd not won for, like, four or five months of the season, wasn't it? Something ridiculous. I think it, was, I think it was actually they hadn't scored in something like oh, 11 that. league games. Their first 11 league games, they actually hadn't scored a goal, I think is what it was, uh, which is a record quite significantly so um and yeah uh he he struggled to get into that side um and and didn't look so bad on wednesday which is very odd uh, I guess james Elliott, when you've got james the, you got the quality of players around you i suppose can push your level up a bit maybe and bail you out and make you know sometimes if you play a pass to someone who is significantly better than what you're used to playing with they can turn it into a good pass i suppose yeah, just, you're probably I was, right. I was looking at it. He didn't really get a lot of time anyway. So no, he didn't. I, he just got... like there's like six six games a combined of like ninety minutes worth of football. So he wasn't getting a look in regardless. So they were poor and he wasn't playing. So there's no wonder he's back so quickly. Yeah, I have to assume it was a can't. style fit, right? Like he just yeah, didn't that's match what, what they say. wanted to play. I imagine turgid football is not something that a Brighton player is going to be well well versed in. Um, Stephen in the chat, hi, hope you're well. Um, and yeah, let's talk about first two minutes into the game, really, and and Cupion's really only big mistake, and that was being caught wildly up the pitch, uh, and really. You know, in hindsight, now we're looking at post Fulham as well. You can't hold it too much against him because players that are supposed to be playing in those positions were kept wildly out of position uh, for three goals against Fulham uh, this weekend. So he's not alone uh, in being caught over the top, uh, but he was. um, And it ultimately resulted in a Mario Lamina goal um, coming from what was one of the most confusing flaps at a football um we've seen from jason Steele so far what i know we're not talking about goalkeepers but we're gonna do a little bit because there was multiple times on wednesday where we really could have been three nil down from a couple of shocking passes from both the defenders and jason Steele. um what 
what is going on here with the with the back line? Because we saw this Lewis Dunk was wildly like just massively out of position for the goal against Fulham. Uh, so it's not just your Adam Webster's and Jason Steele's, which unfortunately we will talk about more so this week than most because they were essentially solely responsible for for a, for a handful of goals this week. But Lewis Dunk is not looking any better recently. Uh, massively out of position um, for for the goals. Igor, very solid against Wolves, but ultimately almost cost us a goal as well by that short back pass to the goalkeeper as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and outside of that, he actually looked phenomenal, which, but like, you know, it, it could have also put us 2 0 down, which means it just erases everything he'd done. Like, what it, like, I know we're undergoing a ton of rotation, but like, surely a way of stopping that. It's by playing one goalkeeper for a little bit, isn't it? Correct. Like, we've got to surely, surely, surely. Like, at least then the back three, five, two, eight at Fulham. <laughs> like, we at least, they at least know who's behind them and they can, like, understand because it's showing more and more. And I know there's a lot of people that seem to have, it's 2024, you, there is no fence sitting, you're, you're black or you're white, right? Like there are people that would die on the hill for Jason Steele. And there's people that want him out likewise for Bart, but statistically, uh, Dagan did a really good little screenshot of it the other day. Um, he posted a stat sheet and we went through a stat sheet at Christmas and the decline is getting worse for Jason Steele. His performances are coming down and have been since Christmas when we looked into it. They've significantly dropped off further. Now we're in March, uh, thanks to the, the stat sheet Dagan posted. So we are now <laughs> continually seeing his downfall, and we are seeing a slight rise in consistency and quality from Bart. Do you think that Deserby has almost put himself into a corner for the rest of the season, that he's having to rotate these keepers? Or do you think he's actually going to when the chips are down here in these next two months of football where everything can be decided, do you think he's going to commit to one or the other? Or do you think he's going to continue to do what he's doing out of almost stubbornness of what he's picked from the beginning of the season? And that's the question to both of you. Oh, I mean, I thought we were getting towards a point where he kind of hung his hat on for Bruggen. And my sense was, I thought, okay, fine. He's rotated steel back in for the cup game. Fair enough. But then, obviously, yesterday's team selection has kind of blown that slightly out of the water. Because Verbruggen had had, what, probably a cut two, three games in a row before that. And I thought, OK, maybe we're establishing a bit of a pattern. Um, I don't know, because I agree with you. All of the metrics for quite a while have been pointing in Bart's direction. And what's always been in Steele's corner was his distribution and the impact that his distribution had on our attacking play. But we haven't got that now because like <laughs> goals have dried up from basically everywhere. Um, so he hasn't got that in his corner. So, yeah, I think we we're definitely at the, at the stage where we need to be having one goalkeeper. And it's got to be for Bruggen. Um, as far as the rest of it's concerned, I, I just don't I think you've got the upheaval of switching out goalkeepers all the time. And we've got this upheaval of having switched to a back three which I know he did out of necessity because we basically didn't have any fullbacks fit for that period of time. So it, he had to do it to make it work. But we're now at a stage where everybody is back fit 
And I don't think it's a style that everyone is comfortable with. He needs to go back to a back four for me to get the best out of everyone who's there. So you've got these three elements. You've got the fact that the goalkeeper situation is still up in the air. The squad, I don't think, suited to a back three. And then you've got the injury slash rotation. So if you're all Lewis Dunk in there, you know, the planets are basically spinning, aren't they? You've got, no, there's no, there's nothing there which is static that you can think, okay, this is, this is what we're going to hang our hat on. Because you don't know who's going to be in goal. You're not sure who's going to be playing out wide. And you're not sure if it's going to be a two or a three. So, you know, people will come back and go, oh, yeah, and professional footballers getting paid an awful lot of money. They're very experienced. They should just be able to, you know, do whatever. But mentally, that must be quite difficult to deal with the fact that, you know, as a defender, normally you're used to structure. You're used to, okay, you know, teams either consistently play a back, normally teams will consistently play a back four or a back three. You know who your goalkeeper is going to be. So two out of those three variables are normally fixed. And we're in a situation where none of them are fixed. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think just back to your point around Steele, the, the main advantage of having Steele in there was those those breaking sort of distribution passes and, and being able to distribute the ball much more effectively than, than maybe Verbruggen can do at this point. I have no doubt that he'll get there, right? He's 21. So when you have these games with still where maybe his confidence has dropped a little bit and that distribution is now suffering too, people are starting to not see the benefit of Verbruggen over Steel or vice versa. Um, earlier in the season, you're very able to see it, right? It can be, you know, I don't agree with the rotation, but I can see why Steel is in because of the distribution and what he brings to the team from a passing perspective. But that's now faltering. So it, it's sort of where are we actually getting the benefit from here and, and what are we doing? Um Zero variables, again, just echoing what Robin already said anyway, but, you know, that consistent rotation is just unfamiliarity in, in your consistency. Uh, just It's a, a natural cause of, of what you're doing. I also think Deserby's booked himself into a corner here because um, he's completely committed to rotating the goalkeepers despite performances or maybe uh, form. So he, he kind of feels like he has to do it because he's committed to the bit. Uh, so... Yeah, we're, it, we're stuck, right? And I think if we've committed to that and, and we're going to continue to do that, let's just hope something changes. Um, but for right now, it's absolutely not working. And in Wolves, he's completely caught cold, right? Uh, and I think that that entire first half was probably one to forget, um, not only for the goal, but also just the hospital passes that we saw. Yeah, and it was it was time after time after time from everybody. Uh, it was some shocking passing. Um, all that said... Uh, it's it's tough, isn't it? Because this is where you can look at the stats and say, as a positive person, but we were great. As a negative person, you go, but we still didn't score. I think you've got to look at it as best we can from a neutral tactical perspective. So the statistics overarching for the Wolves game was we had 18 shots, only two of them on target to their nine only two on target for them as well. We had 72% possession. Our pass success rate was massively higher than Wolves, 87% to their 73. Uh, we won the ball off of them a lot more than they won the ball off of us. We had more successful tackles, more corners, more aerials won, better dribble rate, just about everything you want to look at on that team sheet, it's better. So you go, well, that's great. We played really well. We are a little bit unlucky. 
yeah. pessimist, the pessimist would go, we still haven't scored a goal, so that's shit, right? We didn't play a striker, nothing. I think from a more, like, I'm trying to be as, like, tactically side as possible. The reality is, is that after two minutes of football, we provided Gary O'Neill's Wolverhampton Wanderers the perfect game plan. And those stats are pretty much exactly what that style of Wolves would love to see. They don't care. That's how they win games all season. They want to go a goal up. They want to park the bus and they want to basically hit you on the break with those Samedos at wing back, with your Sarabias, with your Adama Traores, with your, uh, not your Adama Traores, the other Traore, uh, with your um, Pedro Netos, with your uh, Huangs. You know, this is your Alknoris, who I thought was very good as well. Like, this is this is how they play their football, and this is how they were at their best back when Nuno had them with Raul Jimenez as well. So, really, it's I don't think it's either bad or good. I think that, unfortunately, one huge error leading to a goal provided Wolves the picture-perfect game plan, and they simply went ahead and executed it. And, unfortunately for us, we didn't have the cutting edge to make a difference at the other end of the pitch with all the ball that we had. Yeah, I think it's fair. I mean, I was very much in the glass half full um, camp after the game. Because, you know, it's like we played really well. We did. It was another classic. We did everything but score. Um, and it wasn't like we were, we had loads of possession and we didn't really create much. We created a bunch. We just couldn't score. So I'm, I'm never that upset when that happens, I'm more upset when we have loads of possession and we do relatively nothing with it. When we're actually nearly there, I'm not so fussed about it. I um, will push back on that in that the player on our team with the highest XG was Jason Steele at North Point. Yeah, that is. But I mean, that's just because it's a glaring, <laughs> it's a glaring chance, isn't it? Like he's got the entire goal to aim. I know he's a, I know he's a goalkeeper and I you know I know he probably didn't think the ball was going to come to him because I think ultimately when goalkeepers go up for corners I think you know as much in the back of their mind they're going right I'm going to head this in the top corner they know realistically that they are there to cause a disruption right and a distraction and that probably the chance will fall to somebody else they don't expect the ball to fall to them you know whatever it is four yards out unmarked with 95% of the goal to aim at um, and it's unfortunate that Jason Steele couldn't do, you know, his, his the way that he normally distributes the ball, puts his foot through it with, you know, precision accuracy. Um, it was just unfortunate. I thought, you know, Welbeck had that header from Barco's cross. I'm sure we'll come and talk about him, which, you know, I was disappointed in that. But I think Welbeck has set himself quite a high standard when it comes to scoring ridiculous headers that I kind of thought this is going to go in. But yeah, you know, we were, we weren't a million miles off it. Um, You know, you can now look, you know, if you want to look in the context of what happened yesterday, then, you know, maybe you can say, okay, we're starting to establish a bit of a pattern recently in terms of, you know, not being that great in front of goal. But in isolation, I wasn't that, I wasn't that unhappy with the performance. It's just left ourselves with an uphill battle, right? Against the Wolves team that are yeah. very much better than last year. Um, Gary O'Neill's proving to be a, quite a good manager at this point. So, um, and, and we know, and we've spoken about this half to death, right? Is if we go one, one nil down, it is so hard for us to come and get some form of result. Um, just by the nature of it. We've done it loads not, recently. 
Andy Naylor oh, had a stat yeah. yesterday. I think away games particularly. Um, I think it was something that I'll try and find it. But it was like it was remarkable the number of times that we've gone a goal behind in the first 20 minutes of an away game this year. And the number of times that that's been two goals behind as well. Um, is It's definitely a pattern. It's mm. definitely a pattern. Um I mean, I yeah, stats wise, I could be wrong. It just feels <laughs> over the past like few uh, years as seven, well. It feels rough. Seven times in the last twelve away games, we've conceded a goal in the opening twenty-one minutes, and four times in the last twelve, we've been at least two 0 down at the break. Yeah, and how many of those have we came back on? Uh, definitely not Aston Villa because we lost six-one. <laughs> uh, Manchester City, we lost two-one. Everton, we drew. One all. Nottingham Forest was not Forest is the only one we've come back to win three two. We lost three two at Chelsea, lost two at Arsenal, drew with Palace. Well, he's got, he's got. So we uh, are surrendering leads in the first twenty minutes, and if we oh, do that, you know, Luton, we essentially a classic example. We essentially just don't come back, which is definitely a problem. Like that's very much Gus esque, where we would never come back from one nil down. Yeah. Um, which not is interesting because if you want to get into like a if you kind of want to get into a bit more of a mentality discussion on it this is where you go does Deserby need to tweak his style slightly so that the start of games are slightly more considered and slightly more do you know what I mean because it I know he's a kind of all or nothing it's it's a kind of all or nothing guy right we're getting we repeat this a lot but we are getting exactly what we were promised with Deserby, which is you're going to score a lot of goals, which, you know, barring the last couple of games, three games, we have been scoring a lot of goals, but you're going to concede a lot of goals as well. I will say, though, I think think last season, only Liverpool won more points coming from behind than Brighton did. And I think that, and I think that speaks to squad quality, doesn't it? I think, I think now, yeah, we probably could do with a more measured approach. I think realistically, if we had the same season as 19 of the other, well, 17 of the other Premier League teams with the injury levels that they've had, I think realistically, you know, you've seen it. I mean, Bournemouth just earlier in the season, like where we had most of our squad available to us, we went down and we came back and we we beat them because yeah. the squad quality showed out. But I think with the squad as it is, it's just, it's, it's a struggle. Um, let's talk positive because we're going to have to bounce from positive to negative because there's a lot. Uh, but let's talk positive, Craig. Uh, and let's talk Valentin Barco, a player that uh, Deserby thought, well, outright said was not ready and would not be coming on. Uh, in classic Deserby fashion, then comes on um, and plays what 15 ish minutes of football at the end of the end of the half as we search for an equalizer. What did you make of him out on the left? Um, in his 15-minute cameo of what you could glean. <laughs> uh, easily the best 15 minutes of the of the match, right? I I, I thought he was really good. Uh, um, put a lot of crosses in, like just wasn't scared. Just head up, put the cross in. Obviously, Welbeck needs to do his thing. We spoke about that, but I thought he was bright. I thought he was everywhere. Low centre of gravity, gets the shrug people off, put like put crosses into the box with a left foot. Like, it, it's nice, right? So... We should see him more on probably the left mid or coming out in sort of that left wing area. I, I just can't see him as a left back at this point. Um, but I thought he was great. Uh, we'll see if that 
that's him not ready, then I think we might have a good player. Uh, so we'll see how he goes. Well, that was going to be my follow-up, really. He, for a player that's not ready at all, he certainly looked mildly ready, didn't he? Like, from, from your perspective, he looked... Yeah, doesn't make... Yeah, so, I mean, if if the Zerbi's expecting incredible things from him, then I, I assume that's why he said he's not ready. But um, at 19, sort of, you know, you've, you've moved to the UK in the last two weeks and, and you just sort of get thrown on for 15 minutes there. I thought he did really well. Yeah, I thought so too. Let's let's talk less positive again, bouncing back and forth. Let's talk Ansu Fati. Uh, the man put up top, uh, by far our biggest earner, I would assume, even when we're only covering about half the wages of him. Um, and possibly, I would say definitely the most hyped loanee we've ever had. Um, Robin and I talked a little bit about Robbie Savage yesterday, but I, like in terms of hype, uh, Anzu Fati is five times more hype than Robbie Savage ever was at that time when he came to us at League One level and stunk the place up. Um, now, questions have been asked about Anzu Fati basically his entire career due to injury-prone levels of just not being able to stay fit and inconsistent. This this reputation isn't leaving him at Brian Lovarbian, is it? Uh, because when he is playing, he's ineffectual. And when he isn't playing and he's hurt, then like he's just continuing down the same path he's been for a while. It's got to be one of our most, if not our most disappointing loan signing, isn't it? Like, of ever, like, of what you're hoping to see come from him. Yeah, and I, and I was quite, you know, I defended him last week when Adam was making pretty much that exact point. And yeah, I mean it's it's difficult it's difficult to defend his last couple of appearances, to be quite honest. Um, I mean, you made the point, Josh, when we were talking yesterday about whether he was he. I think it was that it looks like someone that doesn't want to get another injury. It wasn't me, but you're not wrong. That looks right. That is, you know, that's his. <laughs> that it looks like it's, you know, it's it. Because he doesn't strike me, because you look at it, you go, he doesn't strike me as someone who doesn't try. I know in the early days he came, he was kind of floating around a bit, but then he was he was working hard before his injury. And he just doesn't strike me as the kind of person that's just like not bothered and not trying. It looks like someone, as you'd expect, who's had a whole bunch of injuries throughout his relatively short career. And it looks like someone that doesn't want to put their foot in and get another injury, especially when you're, you know, you're not at your parent club, right? <laughs> it's just, you know, if he was at Barcelona, maybe it's a bit different. But, you know, you've been shipped out to the Premier League. And it looks like he doesn't want to risk getting another injury. But the problem with that is, as you say, Josh, he's beginning to fall into, you know, he's just he's becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't he? He doesn't want to get injured because he's had loads of injuries. So he's going to get less game time because he's having loads of injuries and, you know, he's going to be in this spiral. I mean, you can, there's all sorts of rumours floating around that, you know, he was a player that, you know, this is very much a deserve signing, right? But this is someone who the club naturally hasn't, hadn't identified as someone to bring in. Probably because of the wage aspect to it, you know, it's a very unusual it's a very unusual thing for us to do from the outside. Obviously, you know, we don't know the numbers of what everyone gets paid, but 
you know, judging of what Ansu Fati is probably on at Barcelona, having been given the number 10 shirt, um, it strikes me as a signing that De Zerbi has probably pushed the boat out for to ask for and gone, look, if I can get Ansu Fati to come, can we find the money? And the club have probably gone, all right, because the chance of you getting Ansu Fati to come to Brighton are probably quite slim. So off you go, mate. If you can, if you can get him to come here, then we'll write a check. And they were probably quite surprised when he came back and went, all right, he's coming. <laughs> Where's the check? Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's up there with the hood, isn't it? Two signings who, you know, should be really promising from their background and their pedigree. Um, but both obviously had injury question marks over them. And it's just really unfortunate for us that both of them at this point haven't worked. I mean, I'm still not ruling it. I'm still not ruling out Ansu Fati being a great success if we go really deep in the Europa League. Because it's in European games, naturally, where he's looked better. Because that's better suited to the environment that he's come from. So I'm whilst we're still in the Europa League, I'm not at the point yet of totally writing him off. But as a Premier League signing, as a Premier League player, he hasn't really shown much, has he? Well, this is so. This is something that I've seen posted a lot, actually. And like, it's, I'm glad you brought it up. The idea that Fatty is the Deserby signing, because Paul Barber has spoken at length about the Fatty signing, and he has noted that it was something that was brought to the Albion, not from Deserby, but they were in the market late for a winger after Inciso went down, um, and. It was, I don't know if we all play football manager still, but essentially it was like they threw out an intermediary to see what was there. And it came back that actually like Fatty might be available. Um, and Barber reached out or they reached out to Barber. They had a very small conversation. And it seemed very like, eh, maybe, maybe not. Deserve made the phone call after he was informed of it. Sold him on the project and then it went from from strength to strength, and I think that. So I think I think Dahoud is clearly a Deserby signing, right? That like he's absolutely one hundred percent a Deserby signing, absolute bust, right? Absolutely terrible. And Deserby has also put his hands up and said, "Shocking, didn't work out. <laughs> these these things happen. I was definitely wrong. He's not what we needed. It's all gone tits up." For Fatty though, it's a weird one because it seems that it was more just like a like a sequence of events that almost wasn't formulated by anybody. It was just, we almost stumbled. We almost stumbled into getting Ansu Fati as a footballer here. But Craig, like, would you, like, would you consider Ansu Fati as like a NFL style bust? Would you consider him as like a luxury player that we perhaps talked about Facundo Bonanotte being six months ago, who certainly is not now, by the way. Um, uh, or, or do you think it is just one of those uh, just incredibly unlucky players? Uh, I think he's unlucky with injury. And I, and I think I just echo Robin's point without repeating, right? Is you're in this sort of paradoxical situation where he's so scared of getting injured, so he half passes it and you, you sort of you get into this perpetual motion, right? So you're not getting the best player that you can. Um, I don't doubt 
the guy's attitude at all. But, you know, he's obviously he's on loan and there's no buyback option. So he's going back to Barcelona and maybe that's in his mind. Right. Um, so you don't want to get injured. Right. Because because, you know, you're going, quote unquote, home at the in June or in May. So. I, I do like him as a player. I think pre that injury, I thought he was really showing something. And I thought you were seeing something here, which is actually very good. Something that we don't have is that spark or something different. Um, but what he isn't is a center forward or your main striker or someone like that. He is, by definition in that case, a luxury player, right? Or, or someone that will be on the wings or someone that will be able to create Um He's a good finisher, don't get me wrong, but he's not your focal centre forward point. Um, and in that Wolves game, he was up, he was up front on his Todd, and no bueno, right? That's not that's not working, um, and it won't work against any Premier League side. I don't think it would at all. So it, it's about how you play him as well in this constant rotation. Is he on the left? Is he on the right? Is he playing up front? Is he at the ten? Who knows? Um, but combine that with the fact of his consistent injuries and a little bit of still rustiness or the Zerbi's really protecting him because we've been calling out for a winger during January and February because Matoma was off, uh, Adingra was off, and yet he still wasn't playing. So it there's something about easing this guy in and looking after him, which is, I don't know, to, his, to be a blessing or a burden in that respect. So I still think there's more to come from him. I think he's unlucky with injuries, uh, and I think he's probably taking it a little bit easy, um, maybe because it's just a loan. But he's able to provide if he's putting the right system. Um, I don't think it's clicking right now, but I hope it does towards the end of the season because we we need someone like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think, like, like Robin said earlier, or maybe it was you, Greg, one of you said it, that we've got Rome on Thursday and he has, he has looked more comfortable against European sides. Um, out of the FA Cup, though. Can I make um, one more point, Nancy Fatu? Yeah, of can. Um, he's one of those signings where everyone, it's very easy to make this conclusion with hindsight, right? It, the question you've got to ask yourself is, was it a worthwhile gamble when it happened? Let's forget anything that's happened since. The moment that he got signed on the dotted line, what proportion of people went, this is like, this is worth us going for. Like, you know, he's injured, right? Let's be honest. Like, if he was if he was super consistent and he was super injury free, Barcelona are not loaning him out. Right. That that's that much is obvious. Right. It's a Pascal Gross with pace scenario. Right. It's just not going to be here. But is it was it worth the gamble? Because I think it 100 percent was worth the gamble. And I think I would be lucky. if there's a Brighton fan out there that says no, you're a liar. Like, or you're like Brighton's accountant. Like, I, 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 I was <laughs> never, I was never so excited for a loan signing in in my entire life. It, and that's it, what I mean. Like, it's one of those things where everyone's, it's, everyone is really, or a lot of people are really quick to write him off at this point and go, okay, he's been injured, he hasn't looked good, but you got to go. It was worth, like, it's worth a gamble, given his pedigree, right, and his availability and everything about him. Hundred percent worth a gamble, and there's still time. Like, let, let's take this to the extreme, right? The best case scenario this season, right? We go all the way and we win the Europa League and Ansu Fati scores half a dozen goals in the Europa League between now and the end of the season, right? It's not, like, it's not, it's not off the table. That is not off the table. So anyone who's, like, already kind of gone, right, you know, pointless, waste of money, what's the point? Like, I get, I get where you're coming from, but... 
we've at least got three days of hope, right? Until Roma absolutely hand us our ass on Thursday. <laughs> but we've still got three days, right? Where this scenario can reasonably happen. So right, all I would say, all I would ask is keep that little possibility tucked away in your top pocket until at least Thursday. Well, it still might. One thing we won't be doing is winning the FA Cup because we're now out. The final eight, we would have been playing Coventry uh, on Saturday, March the 16th. I don't want to be too presumptuous, but you would think that's a heck of an opportunity to make yet another semi-final of cup football. Um, the other ties around us would actually have been quite nice as well. Manchester City playing Newcastle, so that's one of those two gone. Manchester United against Liverpool, that's another one of those two gone. And Chelsea playing Leicester. If there's ever a team that can F it up in the FA Cup, it's against a high-flying, top-of-the-table championship side as Chelsea. So, realistically, they're probably going to win anyway. Uh, yeah. But you're knocking you're knocking out one of United, Liverpool, City and Newcastle. You're knocking two of those out and you're beating Coventry, probably. How disappointed are you? Do you think that there was a real pathway to silverware here? Or no. do you think we have a better chance in the Europa League? Truthfully. 100% a chance in the Europa League, 100%. My, my, my level of upset about being knocked out of the FA Cup was about 5%. Um, because... <laughs> Craig, what was yours? <laughs> I, like, mine, was, mine was higher. I think as soon as they saw Coventry out the hat, you go Wembley, semi-final, immediately. And you, and you start thinking about that. So I got my hopes up because the draw has happened before, right? I think if, if the draw happened afterwards, I wouldn't have given a hoot, uh, like an absolute hoot, to be honest. It was just because we knew that that pathway was our path. Um, is why it was disappointing. I'm not shocked with us going out. It's that it's kind of annoying. It's like, here's what you could have won. I'll be honest, like from a personal point of view, like having been to both both the FA Cup semi-finals that we've had in the last how long it's been, my desire to go there to Wembley again to watch us lose to one of Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, Man United is just it's it's not there at this point. Um, maybe if our overall form was at the point where it was earlier in the season, if we were crushing teams left, right and centre, I'd go, OK, maybe we've got a chance. And no one's injured, right? Everyone's there. But I just thought where we are and where this season is, <sighs> like, yeah, it would have been nice. We'd probably, You're right, we probably would have beaten Coventry and you get through to the semi-final and you go, realistically you've got to then if you're going in terms of are we going to win the FA Cup right okay get through to the semi-final where you've probably got to play one of Chelsea Man City Liverpool Man United right you beat them you're into the final where you've then got to beat one of Chelsea Liverpool Man City or Man United just I couldn't see it where we are at the moment squad wise and where we are at the moment performance wise couldn't see it Talking about crushing teams, uh, Craven Cottage, a place we seem to be getting crushed an awful lot since the Premier League uh, promotion took place. Such a weird reversal of fortunes because it felt like a guaranteed three points below when we were in the championship. We love Craven Cottage. Now, it's an absolute nightmare venue for us to visit. Definitely don't want to spend too much time on this absolute shit show of a football game. Um, but let's talk about a couple of things all at once. One, is this the biggest 
throwaway lineup that Deserbi has ever posted in tenure here. Um, He's had some shockers. Steele, Veltman, Dunk, Webster, Estepinion, Van Heck, Beleba, Lamptey, Lalana, and Ciso Ferguson. We had two offensive-minded players and 0.5 because Lalana has like maybe one leg's worth of energy in him to be able to go forward. So you've got essentially seven and a half defenders on the pitch or defensive-minded players. Van Heck is playing central defensive midfield. Uh, which I actually don't think he did very bad in. Um, and we had Jason Seal in goal again. Um, and we were just beaten the shit out of for the entire length of 90 minutes. Um, and their three goals were pretty easy, to be honest. Didn't really have to work hard for them. Not at all. Um, I mean, it's, it's, a car, it's just the, it's the result that that lineup deserved. I mean, whether, whether this is where, and again, this is where totally it comes down to what happens on Thursday, right? Because that, that lineup screams, I am putting all my eggs in the basket for Roma away, right? Pascal Gross, who never, like, barely misses a game ever. He goes, yeah, he's got fatigue because he's basically had to play, you know, every game ever, seemingly. So this, the whether, whether yesterday is worth it or was worth it, the lineup, the result, everything. We will have an answer to that on Thursday night. Because if we go to Rome and we win one, two, three nil, yesterday, or becomes... just don't lose. Yeah, frankly, or... I, I, Craig, yeah, I don't know what you think time, as well. Right? Like, do you do you agree yeah. that if we if we get a result, any kind of result on Thursday, then that, then do you fine. look back? Do you yeah. look back on yesterday and feel better about it? Uh, a little bit. I. This it stinks that we've just resigned ourselves to a top ten finish, doesn't it? I, I just I think we're irrespective, right? I I understand the the rotation and stuff. Gross, Welbeck, Adingra, Fati, Bonanote, all on the bench, right? Even Dunk gets yanked off after sixty minutes. Um, it it does. That's extreme rotation where it's quite clear that our focus is on Thursday. But bearing in that, like. Even with the rotation, we looked so damn bad that it's just not particularly acceptable to just get absolutely hammered and just deal with it um, and, and just try and get something, right? And, and I appreciate Ferguson missed a couple of chances and, and we, we did make some chances. If we're going to be super optimistic at this point, there were a couple of chances we could have put away. Um, but it was just how just heard. Just, just to agree with you there, we both finished on uh, to round it just to be not obnoxious with decimal points. We both finished on 1.2 XG. Mm. And, I, and I thought the Ferguson chances were good. I think he he's obviously hideously out of form at the moment, but he's he's got himself in that position. The chance has been created. We just haven't put it away. Um, if he scores those two, this is a very different podcast and Twitter is a very different place. Um, but, you know, at this point, it, and to what Robin said again, is we we deserve that because of the team that we put out and the performance that that team put out as well. Um, so, yeah, do I like that we're rotating for Europe and do I think it's necessary? Yes, given the injuries that we have, and absolutely. But it does also confirm that we've sort of resigned Premier League or that sort of top six place for me because we're, we're just not heading for that. There's something more important right now, um, and that's Europe. And that's okay, but it, it does mean that the Premier League status or the Premier League <laughs> top 10 or top 8 finish... Is secondary at the moment. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think something James... I didn't hate about. I was going to say, yeah, hate about yesterday was I thought Belaber looked all right. I thought he looked very good. Um, I mean, I was going to, I was going to add, I was going to add another positive onto this week of the few that we have. I, I think Jakob Moda looks excellent. Like, um, like he looked great against Wolves. So comfortable. Such good technique. Such great passing. Like he looked perfectly fine out there when he came on for half an hour again against Fulham. Massively comfortable. I like he's clearly. A centre midfielder. Like we need to keep playing him as a centre midfielder. Please, please, please. Because he's clearly comfortable there. And at, at this point, like he's a perfect rotation option between Gilmore, Gross, him. And 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 honestly, I, I would consider Blaber in that four now. Like he's he's physical, he's looked good both times he came on, struggled a little bit more at Wolves than he did at Fulham. But he tends to he tends to struggle when he comes on. He either he's either asked to push forward where he does quite well, or he's asked to sit in and conserve. And he struggles. I feel like when he comes on as a sub to kind of hold. Um, but I, I I feel like all three four of them are now becoming very like realistic prospects to start football games. It's not just oh shit, Gilmore's banned for three games. What do we do now? Like after Wednesday night, I was like, cool, Moda's definitely ready. Like now I know what we do. Like thank God, like he's he is who we thought he was was before he ripped his knee apart in about eighty six different places for two years. <laughs> yeah, agreed. I'd say that if we're going to take if we're going to take small little bonuses out of that, that is what it is, isn't it? You know, and there's going to be the running. You know, the, we're going to need everybody in the running. If we do go out of Europe and we go, okay, fine, we've now got a. We've now got to pivot ourselves back to trying to get seventh. Um, we're going to need everybody, everybody ready. But I mean, it's just I find the, the, I know we talk about it every week, but the Ferguson thing is so frustrating um, because we, yeah, like a Ferguson of last season with the confidence and the clinical performances of last season. It's the last you know, the last couple of months would look a lot different in a lot of different games. And this, um, this is by no means, I'm not pinning it on him. Um, it's just a reflection, say, if we had the Ferguson of last season, a lot of cracks, a lot more cracks would have been papered over for goals. And that Deserby will probably be feeling the same because if you look at a lot of the stats, like you said, Josh, earlier, for the Wolves game particularly, you know, every metric that you'd want to be in our favour and looking strong was in our favour. And, you know, for the first half, we don't have Ferguson, we don't have Welbeck. And there's been a lot of games where we have done, you know, the metaphorical everything but score. So it's very frustrating. And, you know, in the chat, um, Pierre in the chat has just said, you know, if Ferguson continues in his current vein of form, Chelsea coming in the summer with, in this instance, a £64 million offer, do you take it? I know we've begun, uh, you know, I said this last week as well, you know, at what point does it become more than a blip? And I know Adam rebutted me on this and it was good points, but, you know, we are like, at what point does it become a concern? At what point do we go, okay, you know, yes, he's obviously, you know, he's been injured. Maybe he's had, um, you know, glandular fever or whatever. Defenders have worked out a way of playing against him. He's not having as much space, etc. 
but when does it become something more than that? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's obviously we do pull out all the tropes and say how young he is, how sort of he's still getting his feet, he's inexperienced and stuff like that. But yeah, you're talking 16, 17 games at the moment without a goal. Um, like I said before, when I think when we beat Sheffield United, like I just wanted him to get that touch just to get a really crap goal. Um, just mm-hmm. so just so that sort of that pressure doesn't pile on even more, right? I, there's there's probably, he's probably his own worst critic, right? In, in that respect. And he's looking at the stats and he's going, I have to score, I have to score, I have to score. Um, so just getting one crappy goal, just that small bit of luck that will just unlock it again. And um, I think that's what that is. And, and I think you're right. It's like, when when does a blip become a thing or a phase or or just the norm um for me he just needs one lucky touch he just needs one one bit to to get him back or just get that sort of monkey off his back so i i still stand by it i i do think you know for thursday he doesn't start right i think against roma i don't think he starts i think welbeck starts and i think that rotation is going to help but he just needs that one thing, just that one deflection or rebound or something, just to get him firing again. Um, you've seen it before with other strikers. It's a it's a confidence thing too. Talking about who starts against Roma as we head into kind of the final piece of the podcast, um, we have essentially put all our eggs in this basket now, right? Like we are very much closer to bottom half of the table than we are to a meaningful European place. Uh, we're out the FA Cup. We have rotated heavily this week um, to keep players fit. And it's obviously in order to put out a strong side on Thursday. Please, like, all I ask is we go back to a back four. I was go- I literally okay. I was going to say the same thing. That was going to be the first thing out of my mouth. If we operate with a three on Thursday, we're cooked. We're going to lose, like, absolutely. Because every piece of resting and rotation he's done, it feels like we should have a serviceable back four, not just a serviceable, a good back four to play at this point. Do, do we all agree on that? Like we've got, to me, like you've got... We've got Veltman, a, a first choice back four is now fit. You've got Veltman, Dunk, Van Heck, Evst Opinion and Verbruggen in goal. Is that the right. back five everybody wants to see on this podcast? Yes. Away yeah, at Stadio Olympico. Like, that is any... perfect. Any sane, any sane Brighton fan wants. Like, if everybody is fit, that is the back. That is the back five. I know that you say you'll have the people that will die on the hill for Jason Steele, etc. Okay, so maybe that aside, right? If everyone's fit, that back four. If you look at, okay, so you look at the options. Go, okay, if it's not that back four, right? Who's coming in? Everyone's fit, and we've debated this. You go, there'll probably be some pe- a small number of people that would want Lamptey in there. Because I know if you look at like the Marseille away game. Lamptey was brilliant in that. We basically wouldn't have got a point if it wasn't for his performance then. You're looking at Igor and you're looking at Hinchelwood if he's fit. The only reason point, you're no, playing you could... Igor in that lineup is if you're going ultra defensive and putting him at left back, which he's actually yeah. been pretty good yeah. at. But if you if only if you're going four, flat four. back four that doesn't yeah, yeah. move. Like you've yeah. got Veltman, Doug, Van Heck, and Igor, and they all just stay where the F they are. And they That's play it. as a real defensive line instead yeah, of the Zerbi defensive line. And like no one attack. Like no one is no one's putting Webster in that conversation. So I'm not even going to bother. But that is the back four, back five that everybody wants. 
And like you said, now he's rotated. They're all back, right? Feltman, yes, has felt his way back from injury, but he's the kind of person where I feel like he just he doesn't need that much time to get back up to speed. I feel like if he's fit and he's not horrendously not match fit, I feel like he can slot back in without too much problems. Duncan Van Heck, I've obviously been fit pretty much for a while. And Purvis has been back for a few weeks. So we're at the point where you go, there is no there is no rotational or fitness reason why the four of them shouldn't be starting in a back four. Well, Vutman absolutely is fit. He just played 90 minutes. Yeah. So if he ain't and if he ain't fit, then he shouldn't be playing 90 minutes. And he played mostly as a centre half. So I don't want any fatigue from running up and down the line. He didn't do any of that this week. Like, no. Because that just wasn't how he was put out there for. So, so we know that's going to be the, that's the back. Gross is back. Gross is back, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I assume Gilmore, Gilmore is back in that, that two. Yeah. Um, and then you've got your front four. Welbeck leads the line, I think, for all of us. Um, and then you've got the back, the, 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 the kind of the front three behind him. I think of those, Adingra absolutely plays, right? Yeah. Like, without a absolutely. shadow of a doubt, Adingra is in that lineup. Uh, like, uh, Craig, who are your other two? And I th- I'm assuming you're probably in agreement with everything we just put because it almost yeah. is like yeah. it picks explanatory. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I and I do think Fatty plays on the left, and I think Bonanotte has to play Cam, or I it's either that or Enciso for me. Um, I don't know if Enciso can do 90 minutes yet, um, but the only my only I guess the only one I'm not 100 percent sure on is that Cam role or that sort of false nine shadow striker ten whatever cliche you want to use but i do think it's fatty on the left i think it's a dinger on the right i think it's just buonanote or enciso behind welbeck um and that that's your team i think that's as good as you can do at this point i'm gonna throw a hand grenade in because i'm playing lamptey wide left in that in that attacking three you'd have him wide right no or wide yeah yeah, either way i mean he's played both but i'm playing him I'm playing him in that three. I'm I am I am wondering if he goes with a dinger on the left, but a knotty on the right, and fatty at ten. Mm. Because a dinger is so good on the left, and that's where his natural position yeah. is. And we've seen him when he doesn't allow Fukundo to go in the in the cam role, he is always out right. So I wonder if that is what he does as well. I think, yeah, I think personally, I think that's your front three, your middle three though. I think Adingra, yeah. and Fatty are your middle three. I just don't know where they all go. And. But I think neither do they. <laughs> and I think Inciso and Lamptey will definitely come on at some point. Yeah. My, my fear, my fear with Lamptey is it turns into a back five. Like just, just with his, it's his natural inclination to defend. And with Veltman at right back, he it very easily turns into a five if you're under pressure. Um, which it not necessarily a bad thing, as long as in the attacking sense then we we have a four, then I don't mind. But I can see I can absolutely see Lamptey going as well, just like you said, with his his work that he's done in Europe already. Sorry to cut you off, Josh. No, not at all. Like I think it's a good point. Um it it is absolutely a risk that you then subconsciously transition to the back five that we're all trying to horribly avoid. Um, and it essentially looks exactly like it looked against Fulham, but without Webster, which is not, not what we want. Um, 
So, all right, just a couple of things to touch on before we go. Deservey, not a happy boy um, this weekend, uh, came out and said that this is something that he has been talking about for uh, quite a long time now. Um, what did you What did you both make of this? He, he, basically, what he said was, uh, I think for us it is a very tough moment, but I am speaking only, I am not speaking only now about it. I'm starting to explain the future in September, in October, in November, in January, especially in January. Now we can't change anything and we have to move on to play better, to fight better, to play with different energy. Essentially, he's turning around and going, I've asked you and told you that we needed strengthening since September. I've made it abundantly clear that we needed strengthening in January. You told me to take a long walk off a short pier. Now I'm just going to have to do what I can with what I'm left with. Certainly not the words of a happy man. We've taught to Zerby in or out come the summer of his own volition, really. There's never a conversation around letting him go. Um, although you see the odd meltdown after statements like that yesterday where people are talking about getting rid of him. But generally, I think most of us would love him to be here next next August, September. What? Where are we trending here? Like, Regardless of what we do in, in Europe, regardless of what we do in the Premier League, what is it going to take to keep... Deserve he as a football manager at Brighton and Albion come September because he's clearly pissed off. Well, if the fabled, if the rumoured Tony Bloom is going to go for it this summer comes to fruition at the end of the season, he says, Look, Roberto, I know I didn't, you know, I don't like doing much in January. I know you'd have liked me to do more in January, but it's enabled us to be in a position to go whatever you know 150 200 million whatever it might be there you go that's conceived that's like he will my sense is that there will very much be a conversation at the end of the season as there probably would be anyway but this year there will be a conversation to basically go what is next because if you put all of them inside you go any any club if you look at the, there's that table of the number of minutes or days that have been lost to injury, right? Look at the whole season. And we we are not the worst, but we are up there with the worst. There's a, there's a bunch of clubs that are kind of together in terms of days that have been lost. There are clubs, there are bigger clubs than us who were, would who without European football would struggle to have a decent season with the, the injury numbers that we've been putting up this year. So you chuck Europe in there and you go, historically, when clubs have their first European season, generally they finish lower the next season, right? Unless they're a top traditional top four, top six club. So I think there will be a conversation at the end of the season where Roberto will basically say, what's next? Like, was this whole having a genuine qualifying for the top six, playing in Europe, being a genuine contender in that, you know, that kind of below when, once you take the top four out, you know, that section below that, was this a flash in the pan or are we really going to go for it as a medium, short, medium term strategy? And Tony Bloom's answer to that question will determine whether Deserby is here next year or not, because Josh, you posted his basically verbatim quote when he left Sassuolo. 
and for people that haven't seen it you can look it up and find it but it, it the it's quite it was quite a kind of it's a less emotive version of gus poet's glass ceiling quote right it's basically saying i've got to the point where i can't take this club any further with what's available to me is essentially what he's saying so i'm heavily in the camp where deserby will not will not have made a decision yet i'm 100% convinced he would have not made a decision yet what's happening i think it will entirely hinge on that conversation with tony bloom and if tony bloom goes no i do genuinely want i'd like i do genuinely want top 6 top 7 to be the target and here's 200 million whatever it is I think it becomes a more difficult decision for Deserby to want to leave because he's got to look at it and go, where am I going to go next? Like we've debated it to death. Like the Barcelona thing just isn't happening. Like I'm convinced financially, there's so many stories around it. It's not happening. Well, um, yeah, it came, it came out today that we've told them that no, no, no uncertain circumstances will we be adapting that release clause. So why, and why would they like, are done? They're done now. That's it's a, it makes things complicated, uh, aka yeah, because, like, it ain't happening, and they're going for flick. Right? <laughs> yeah, so that's that's not happening. So Barcelona's not happening, right? That's out the window. I'm still nailed on that Alonso's going to Liverpool, so that's not happening, right? So then you look at Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich, I'm, Chelsea, and United essentially are the only three. Graham Potter, like, Graham be Potter seems to be bizarrely. Graham Potter seems to be nailed on for United because he's got this relationship with Dan Ashworth. He's got this relationship with Jim Ratcliffe so I think either they keep Ten Hag I think they might keep Ten Hag I don't think he's a horrendous manager they might keep him Ten Hag or Potter for United so then you're looking at Chelsea and you're looking at Bayern Munich I don't think De Zerbi goes to Bayern Munich because I don't think it's a particularly interesting league for him to manage in to be honest because we've talked about it before if you go to Bayern Munich you basically if you win the league no one really congratulates you because you should have won the league, right? If you don't win the league, you basically get sacked because you didn't win the league and you should have won it. So it's not a very interesting league. And so it means that you've got to win the Champions League, right? And yes, historically, they've been a powerhouse in that. But like, who's putting... They're just not... They're not up there for a contenders to be champ, to win the Champions League currently. You might go, you might go, well, that's a challenge. You know, you've got Harry Kane, etc., etc. But... My hunch is it's not an interesting enough job for Deserby to want to go for right now. So then you're looking at, okay, does he want to go and work? Does he want to go to Chelsea? Where, you know, the atmosphere on and off the pitch, stuff going on behind the scenes, the volatility of managers in and out the door and all of that. Do you want to risk? Do you want to go there? I know I keep saying it. I still think the most likely place that he goes is Man City in 2025. Like of all the of all the potential options on the table, I think that's the most likely. The only curveball is if someone like Milan comes in for him in the summer. But again, I don't know like the finance like I know that financially I don't know much I know they've obviously had a few decent seasons, but financially are they up there in terms of being able to pay his release clause and then have a decent chunk of money for him to spend? Like that's the only, that's the only thing that I can think um, 
you know, that I can think of a possibility is that some, you know, one of the big clubs from Italy comes in for him. It's a bloody shame that Brescia's uh, big rivals aren't the Milans or Juve's instead of Atalanta, isn't it? Because yeah. then you know he's never going anywhere. You know if he's a if if Brescia's biggest rivals were the Milan clubs, you know we're safe. Yeah, it's like, not it has to be. That's what has I think. To be like freaking Atalanta, like good side, but they're not going to come in for Deserbi anyway. So like, it's a shame that they're not. It's not like a Juve or the Milan sides that and have you know, like, rivalry with Brescia. I'd also, I would also love, I would actually also love it to be City that he goes to. And the reason for that is because it will be the ultimate test of hit, of the thesis of Deserby, right? To go, you've basically got, a, you've got the, the most in-depth, you've got the squad in world football with the most amount of depth in every position, Right. And you've also got effectively a blank checkbook because Man City just break the rules left, right, and centre, right? So this is the ultimate test. You go, okay, your philosophy here, it's sink or swim, right? Like if you are the kind of genius that has been alluded to in certain quarters, this is it. Like he should go in there and just win everything win every game and you know turn you know turn man city into even more of a powerhouse but then is it an interesting job for him because i feel like does he want is he someone who wants a challenge because again you go into man city and you go yeah you're going to be taking it from guardiola but you go it's not necessarily a challenge is it so what's the most interesting project like if he's looking to go okay i'm going to go and manage one tier up from brighton He's still want to go. He's going to want to go somewhere where there's headroom for success, right? He's not going to go. He's not going to want to go somewhere where, if he wins a bunch of stuff, everyone just goes, "All right," because they've just been used to winning stuff. I feel like he's the kind of person that would want to go somewhere with a bigger budget, but with that headroom for actually, if he delivers success, there's going to be genuine like pats on the back. I don't, I don't, there's not a huge amount of jobs there. The obvious, the obvious one is Man United. If you want to do that, if you want to go somewhere where you probably are going to have the backing and the position of the club is that actually, if you were to be, you know, let's say he goes to Man United and you win and you win a title, right? That would have been their first title in what, 15 years, probably by that point. That's a genuine achievement. If you're the first, if you are the first manager to win a title at United after Sir Alex Ferguson, that is a genuine achievement. So I think, I don't think it's necessarily lazy, but I think there's a lot of people putting his name in the frame for big jobs. When actually, I think he'll be. If we know anything about him, he seems to be someone who relishes like sort of punching above his, not punching above his weight, but I think he'd want to go somewhere where there where there is room to achieve something where people would be genuinely impressed. I'll get off my soapbox. Craig, your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I just, I mean, I, I don't think there's a lot of jobs out there. I think he also wants to test his philosophy. And I, I, I feel like the Man City job is perfect for that. In can I win everything doing it my way? And, and, and that, that sounds like a deserby thing to do is, you know, okay, 
if money's no object and I just use my philosophy and what I want to do, can I win everything? And and that's an adequate test for him who wants to prove that or or maybe wants to live and die by that sword. Um, I don't see Munich. I don't see United at all. I don't see Chelsea. Um, so that just leaves, okay, if he really does want to go back to Italy, what team and, and sort of who is available at that point and, and where does he want to go? Um, so who knows? I, I do think similar for, for this year and, and pivoting towards, okay, how do we, how do we quash that? And how do we make sure that he stays uh, at this club is yeah, we do need to back him. Right. And we need to maybe pivot on the strategy a little bit and maybe make sure that some funds are available. Um, maybe we do a, a Jao Pedro scenario, right. Where we start signing people before the season's even ended just to show that we're serious and, and go, right. We did, didn't we? we? Osman. Yeah. Yeah. So we, yeah, Osman, I think, you could easily go and spend another one on on a potential winger or someone that is of a caliber where you go, okay, this transfer window hasn't even opened yet and they're already backing the Zerbi. And it just just really just settles that down a little bit. Um so we could see that and, and we could see some some backing before everything even stops for the for the summer. So I I do think there's more chance of him staying than there is him leaving for this season. I uh, I think the the way this season is panning out, you know, obviously we've got Europe and we're still on track for a top 10 finish. So that's also a positive that we saw in the chat earlier. I do think it's not enough for that Champions League step. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll we'll see. I still think that's the way. But if he goes on and, and we get seventh, we qualify for Europe again and we get to the final of the Europa League, then it's a different conversation. Do we also, do you potentially, like the flip side of that is, would it is it is it more of a statement if we don't sell anyone? No, because I don't think we've got. It's not the Alexis Caicedo world. We essentially, no. outside of Mitoma, we Pedro. don't have a single. But I don't, I wouldn't even include Pedro because we've only had him a year. Really? Like I feel like I, do I think he's good enough? Yeah, but do I think there's enough teams bigger than us that are wanting to take the punt with just a year? I don't know. Like, I don't know whether they're going to, especially when he's now injured with his hamstring, which we all know could take however long. Like, we yeah. may never, we may not see him again this season, or he could <laughs> be back in two weeks. Like, that's the way a hamstring works, right? Like, like there's apparently there's been little to no progress over the last two weeks. That's that's how hamstrings work. They're an absolute asshole of an injury to have. Like, we saw Tarek Lamptey's entire career ruined because of hamstring stuff. Like, it, we see it all the time. Like, hopefully that isn't going to happen. Hopefully he'll be back before the end of the season to fire in some goals. But I think this injury and possibly Mitoma's too is going to put us in a position where teams aren't even going to be coming knocking too quickly. But if they do, I think it's going to be for Mitoma primarily. And I think that it would be a statement to keep him. Um, But I think if there's ever a player we could now afford to lose despite being world-class it is Mitoma with a dingo literally slotting in right there at left wing behind him. Um, so, no, I don't, I don't think it'd be much of a statement at all not selling this season compared to last season. Um, I think that it has to be what Bloom has now very riskily said to the press that he plans on spending money this summer. And if we don't, Deserby will go. And if Deserby goes regardless and Bloom still wants to spend money and then says he's not spending it because he wants the manager, the new manager to assess the squad. 
then we're in a bit of trouble, aren't we? Because there's there seems to be a pattern emerging of just not spending money when we possibly could and should, if we want to back what we what we say we want to be. But I'm with Craig though. I still think like I think there's more of a I think there's more of a chance that he's here come the first game of next season than there is that he's not. I think most of us would be happy with that. The majority of us, regardless of how the season ends, I think the majority of us would be. Uh, and do you think that our do you think our relative struggles recently in certain departments? Do you think that will be putting anybody off? Does Irby? Or do you think most clubs would go, they've had a horrendous injury crisis, he's not been backed in the window? Or do you think there's anyone looking at that going, he's not quite ready for a bit Chelsea, are de- Chelsea are definitely just reading press excerpts. There's no <laughs> way they're actually using their brains. So Chelsea are right off immediately. Like, there's no way they're using any common sense when it comes to... you take them like, out, but, like, do you think... I think like, Bayern Munich, probably. Like, I think for a team where... They, they're just about to lose their first Bundesliga in God knows how long, and they need a manager to come in and immediately win again. I think it puts them off. Yeah, I do. Because I think that I think they're going to go a lot more boring. It's not going to be a fun managerial I think appointment it, for Bayern I Munich. Think it puts, I think it puts Liverpool off. You to think? To an extent. Because they're at a point where Klopp has basically won everything, right? That there is to win. And yeah. he seems to have basically set them up for the next cycle, squad-wise, right? Particularly last summer, you know, basically revamped their entire midfield. They've got a lot of good young players coming through. From the outside, it looks like they're ready for the next cycle, and he just hasn't got the energy to do that entire cycle. So that's there's a bit of pressure there, because you've got the potential that Villa look good, right? Then That's probably going to continue, because Villa will probably continue to spend a decent amount of money if Emery stays. So Liverpool are the ones where I think that's similar. They need somebody to come in and be relatively successful straight off the bat. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. So I think the, the change there would be that they already play a formation that Zerbi wants to play, and it's got Alexis McAllister and ball playing centre-halves, which is going to be a bit of a problem. But we shall see. I'm going to wrap it here because we're an yeah. hour and 15 in. Um, the last thing I'm going to put out there is two things. One, everybody going to Rome, enjoy it because this really could be the last European trip ever. Maybe it's only the last European trip this, this year month. and we'll be there in <laughs> two months. Yeah, maybe like next month. But just enjoy it. Um, hell, maybe we've got a whole bunch of more European trips next year in the Champions League if we win it. But like, do you know what I mean? Like, just enjoy it to the absolute utmost. Um, Robin and I will both be going. Uh, so that's an exciting time. Um, and we'll be back next week to discuss Roma and Forest at home. Um, the, the mood could be, it's, it's, it's in the balance, fellas. Um, but the last thing I'm going to leave off on, uh, Stephen in the chat noted that uh, a friend in attendance at Stephen's house thinks that Craig looks just like Tom Holland. So if anybody agrees, get into the YouTube comments once this goes fully live and let us all know. We've got I'll, 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 I'll take it. He's a good looking chap. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, Thank I would much. absolutely take it as a compliment, yeah, by the way. I would yeah. log on. I would log on now <laughs> and just yeah. turn the key. Yeah, that's it. Just... I'm gonna I'm gonna, have a, I'm gonna have a great week. Thank you very much. <laughs> if you don't come back next week with just a still of Tom Holland as your profile picture. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll rock up in a spidey suit next week. You'll see. Yeah. 
That would be all perfect. Right. Uh, all right. <laughs> we will be back next week. Have a wonderful week. Enjoy yourselves. If you're traveling, please be safe. Uh, don't do anything stupid. Um, and we will see you all next week. Cheers. <laughs>